maybe this is me, but I have yet to buy in or become particularly uh, enamored with uh, any sort of red dot on a handgun. I don't know why. Well, okay, but yeah, you do know why. Well, well you have thoughts of why. Tell I have thoughts why. of why, okay. Welcome to episode two, that's right, episode two of the Frugal Firearms Podcast, the podcast designed to help you get the most out of your shooting dollar. I'm here with my co-host, Ken. Ken, say hello to our listeners. Hello, listeners. I appreciate you guys tuning in to listen to us today. Ken, what are we doing here? Why are we here? Why are we spending our Sunday recording something when we could be, you know, doing something else? Spending is the operative term there. I mean, this is frugal firearms, and what we want to get is we'd like to get value for the dollars that we spend. So uh, we're here to talk about uh, some of the things that we consider to be uh, high-value items. Exactly. Yeah, and if you, uh, if you dear listeners, haven't uh, checked out our first uh, two episodes, uh, episode uh, one and episode zero, um, the collector's edition, that was actually a beta that we decided came out pretty good. So we uh, posted it to all the different uh, podcast aggregators. What we want to do here is we want to highlight the idea that you can get more for your dollar if you listen to our advice. Uh, and if you don't like our advice, um, you can contact us at Frugal Firearms Podcast. That's firearms plural. So Frugal Firearms Podcast at gmail.com. And we also hope that you will uh, like and subscribe on the various podcast um, distribution. Uh, networks according to which one you prefer because that helps more and more people see the show uh, and that'll help us uh, sustain the show. Absolutely. So what are we going to talk about today? Oh, well, I guess what the first thing we're going to do is talk about our disclaimer, right? So I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on TV. Are, are you a lawyer? Do you I'm, play one on TV? I'm an engineer and, and you're, you're an IT engineer. So yeah, software engineer. Yeah, yeah. Well, no. So if you listeners think that what we're talking about is uh, legally sustainable advice, no, uh, you're wrong. <laughs> um, and, and if you need legal advice, either concerning the legality of products that we talk about in your area or our perspectives on self-defense or uh, any other topic that we might meander into, because this is a pretty free-form show. Yep. Yeah, vet that with your local lawyer. Uh, and by the way, I do mean local lawyer. And why would I say that? I would say that because uh, different municipalities have different local rules, and what may not get you in trouble at the state level might get you in trouble at a different level. Absolutely. There's local, state, federal, and international. I mean, we're close to the Mexican border down here. Yes, we are. We would never cross the international border with any firearm or firearm-related item. You know, that's, a, that's an interesting thing. You know, that in Mexico, I have a friend who does have uh, a property in Mexico and as an American, and he does have approval to bring, you know, uh, have a weapon in Mexico. Mexico has in their constitution the right to own firearms. The way they manage the problem, 
to keep people from owning firearms. I mean, uh, people who are not drug cartel people. Let's just you know get that right. out. They of the get way. anything. Yeah, they, yeah, they want. get whatever they want. Yeah, and and some of it's shipped in from the United States with <laughs> with government support. Yeah. Uh, thank, but, you, thank you, Eric. Uh, yeah. Holder. Yes. They have they have one gun store in the country, and it's in Mexico City. So if you want a gun, yep, you have the right to go buy a gun, and you have to get yourself to Mexico City to do it. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, a city of 9 million people, you're going to go down there, and you got to travel there from all over. The country is huge. It's a huge country. I mean, yeah, it's not as big as the U.S., but... It's still, yeah, it's, it covers it's a, some distance. It's a substantial piece of property, yep. absolutely. And uh, and the, you are not allowed to own a firearm that has a military caliber. Right. So, uh, but again, one of the share the drug cartels, and, and they can have whatever they want. Yeah. They want. Right, okay. So, you have to finish that out. You seek the appropriate legal advice if you need it, folks, because this show is about our opinions and our opinions only and no right. one else's. So I wanted to thank the uh, people who have uh, early adopted us and who have uh, already subscribed and listened. I'm able to look at the analytics on that, and I thought it was interesting when I started looking at the heat map of, of who's been listening and the age groups and genders and so on. The thing that struck me was this big dot right in south central kansas and i thought <laughs> why are there so many people in south central kansas turning into the tuning into the show the heartland of america so i zoomed in on it and it's in the middle of a reservoir they live on a houseboat yeah and all of them right they're they're in the the they're right in the middle of the cheney reservoir and i thought okay something's wrong here and it turns out that that's the geographic center of the country and go. this is for people who listen to the show and and put their city in so that's the, fine so that yeah but but all you people listening on the houseboat in cheney reservoir <laughs> right. th- thank you thank you so i realized that when in listening you know and editing the last two shows that i didn't exactly keep to my word i said that we were going to cover some topics that we didn't because this is a free-form show and in the 45 minutes to an hour we're talking Lots uh, of rabbit holes to go down. Yeah, we just forgot. So <laughs> let's let's kind of catch up on that. Um, I mentioned that I was going to talk about ammunition pricing. Yeah. Uh, a good website for that. And there are several. I think there's one called ammo.com. There's a, there's a few others. But my favorite one that I would recommend to listeners is ammoseek.com. Ammoseek is, is good because you can dial in exactly what you want in terms of uh, not just caliber, but grains, how much shipping you want to pay, and perhaps you don't want to pay any shipping, um, whether it has brass or steel cases, and you can get very, very particular and then find the best uh, pricing on ammunition. So for for anybody who can have ammunition shipped directly to them, which I think is most of the country right now. But not the People's Republic of California? Not here, no. Not here on yet. the left coast? Nope, not here. Oh. Uh, but here you can, what you can do, uh, here you can use a firearms dealer who also has a California ammunition license, which is, by the way, a separate thing. Uh, but if they have a California ammunition resales license, they can receive the shipment for you. You're going to have to obviously pay them for their trouble and their and legitimately for their time to do that. But you can still get ammunition at a much lower cost than probably going down to the you know whatever other limited source you have. I'm so looking forward to the Bruin decisions and the Supreme Court and the Heller decision striking down so much of this and getting back to freedom we used to have it here in this country 
used to have it here in the state. Yeah, we did. We did. Well, you know, I've had I had that conversation with someone else this morning too on a slightly different subject about whether or not it's better to avoid being involved in organizations or in areas where you're losing or whether it's better to stay and fight and and basically get in behind enemy lines and you know, I respect both perspectives on that. So AmmoSeek.com is uh, a great place to go look uh, to find ammunition at a, a lower cost or look for calibers that maybe you don't have available locally. And that's an opportunity that you'll want to take if you use a lot of ammunition, you buy it in bulk, uh, you can save a lot of money that way. Someday we're going to have to talk about reloading because reloading is one of the things that I do and I enjoy. And uh, the fact that you can save mm, 50 cents or 50% to maybe two-thirds on the cost of uh, ammunition, most ammunitions. And the other advantage is the fact that you can load up a very specific uh, bullet weight with a very specific amount of powder that's flat out not available commercially anywhere. So, uh, but to do that and do it well, you really got to get into it with the chronograph and range time and and every rifle even if you have two identical rifles they behave differently due to the barrels and all sorts of things but it's a really fun thing to do yeah and that's part of the value of of the activity remember you know this is the frugal firearms podcast and you know the focus is on value but but there's a construct of value that is what's the entertainment value not just the monetary value absolutely and, and the satisfaction that you get from doing something on your own that maybe you did better than you could go buy in the store. Yep. So uh, I, I agree. That's going to be something that uh, probably you'll lead the topic on that, Ken, because you have experience in that area and I don't. But when we get to that point, that is something definitely worth covering. The other thing, major faux pas on my part uh, was not covering the value ratings because we said that we're going to give value ratings to the various uh, things that we review on the show. And then we just ran right away from that and didn't do any of it. So we're going to catch up a little bit and, and hopefully, you know, if we fail to do that in the future, uh, readers or listeners out there will remind us of that and get us back on track. So how are we going to do that? We're going to do a Likert scale. You know, that's one of those famous. Well, we fun said words. it was a one to ten scale. So one, okay, one to ten scale. One to ten scale, and the Where? one and the one to ten scale is what? The one to ten scale is not just the uh, the quality of the thing; it's the value proposition of the thing. All right. So a very inexpensive thing might rate highly, and absolutely, the, and the best in class might actually rate poorly. Sure. So a one a one uh, star, or a one, I uh, wouldn't call it a star, but that would be a not so great. And then all the way up to 10, which would be considered to be an excellent value. Exactly. And I'm going to start off with one of the first things that I reviewed, which was the Athlon uh, Talos uh, BTR uh, Low Power Variable Optic, which is a one to four. And I you know, made a, a great case out of why I think that's an excellent value. The fact that the, uh, the the visual field is very, very flat, which to me as a photographer is a very important thing. And then completely forgot about giving it a rating. Is it a, an illuminated reticle? It is an illuminated reticle. And the way they did the illumination, I actually like too, a little better than other reticles. Sometimes you only have essentially a very small dot or you have the entire area illuminated uh, I actually kind of prefer a hybrid approach to that, but the amount of the range of light that you can get out of it, I, I think it's, to me, it's spot on. 
Right, because a lot of people would question, why do you want a one-power scope? <laughs> well, you know, the reason I like a one-power scope, and it is pretty darn close to, if you ever hear one-power scope, you kind of put quotes around that, because a one-power scope is not, it's sometimes like 0.9 or 1.1. Uh, it's close enough. The reason that I think a one-power scope is good is if your distance vision isn't perfect. Yeah. Because you can then adapt the scope to account for your less than perfect vision. Now, my right eye is 2015. So I have really good distance vision in my right eye. My left eye is not quite as good. And I'm right eyed. I'm right eye dominant. As am I. But the the fact is that I can still get a much better view through a prism scope or through a traditional glass scope, even at one power. So it also helps, you know, literally narrow your not that you want a wide field of view, but it does tend to focus you, put quotes around your attention, focus. Sure. It focuses your attention, exactly. And that's why it's of value. And at the ranges I shoot, I don't really need more than four power. Um, we're going to cover a scope in a future show, uh, which is going to be a three to 15 power that, well, it just isn't available in less than three to 15 power. But for its purpose, I think it, it still fits the bill of being a value proposition. But the nice thing about the, the Talos yeah, even though it is essentially the bottom of the of the Athlon line, it's, you remember it's not just about the product; it's about the company behind the product. And I managed to break one. I managed to knock the reticle loose out of the scope inside the interior, inside the scope. And right, so it's not something you just tighten from the outside. Right, you had disassemble it, and that's optical quality. And you, yeah, yeah. it wasn't. I I wouldn't say that it was a super hard hit. I it it also wasn't. Gross negligence. I didn't drop right. the thing out of a helicopter. I didn't run over it with a truck. No. But the reticle came loose and needed to be replaced. I sent it into them, and in no time at all, they had a, a new one back to me. That's it, excellent customer yeah. service. And even on a budget scope. So yeah. they probably lost money on the entire deal because there's probably not enough profit margin. No. But they still covered the product and honored the warranty. So Reputation means something to them, and that's an excellent... Quality. So I'm giving that I'm giving that scope a nine. I'm giving that a solid nine. A ten, by the way, for me is going to be really hard to get. Okay, now we're going to talk about the also previously discussed Smith and Wesson Shield. Shield. What, what do we both own, Ken? We both own shields. Uh, I actually, uh, yeah, there's Gen One shields. Uh, the other interesting thing is they're not only Gen One shields; they are California edition Gen One shields. And one of the odd things about that is California requires a chamber flag indicator. So most of the shields that you'll see in the 49 other states or other parts of the country, they just have a, a like a little peephole that's drilled uh, right at the base of the of the base of the cartridge as it's inside the chamber, and you can kind of look down in it. You see a little tiny peephole, and if you see brass in there, then obviously you've got a round in there. California required a little pop-up flag. Uh, which pops up and this little like red flag sticks up. It's about a three quarters of an inch long, and it rotates up. And it's uh, actually it's a, it was one of the odd things that I actually like. Uh, and the reason why I like it is it's tactile, and I can feel it in the in in complete utter darkness. If I were to grab my shield in complete darkness, I wouldn't have to go. Is it loaded or not? I mean, I can't see down. It's too dark. I can't see the, through the little peephole, but I can just feel across there. And if it's tactically up. Then I can I know instantly that it's uh, 
that it's a loaded chamber. So would you say that the, now knowing that both of us own 1.0s, not 2.0s, now 2.0 is the standard one. I've seen the 2.0. I think that the value proposition for the 2.0 is about equal to the 1.0. I mean, my got mine for just frankly north of $200 and it was new. Yeah. Um, now they cost more, not surprising. Now, what would be the basis for value proposition of a shield? You'd have to compare it to other competitive things out there. We do. I, I was incredibly impressed at its accuracy. The first time I took out my shield, I was firing just your Winchester white box ball ammunition, target ammunition, 9mm, 115 grain. And I was, this thing only has like a, a three inch barrel, a little under three inches, I think. I'd have to look at the specs. And I was basically firing at uh, milk jugs full of water at a distance of about 75 to 80 yards and hitting them every single time with basically a concealed carry gun, which I was anticipating was going to have far less accuracy than it had. So from that perspective, I was extremely impressed. And I, I my experience, and, and remember listeners, I'm not the best shot out there. Actually, with my Glock, I am. You've had that forever. Yeah, with my with my Glock, I'm. I even surprised myself how good I am. And with my shield, I'm less good. So I think that for me, the the value proposition on the shield is, is perhaps maybe a little less. Now, I did a comparison yesterday on Handgun Hero. Do you know what Handgun Hero is? Let's talk about it. Handgunhero.com is another recommended site. If you're interested in, in comparing visually and in a very easy way by doing electronic overlays of the size of guns, uh, you can compare any two guns you want and change the opacity of whatever gun you're looking at on top and make it disappear or, or become 100%. You can look at the both sides and the back of the gun. And if you're if size is a concern on on your carry gun, it's the site to go to. But they also list prices, and I verified that against another recommended site, which is Gun Deals, uh, which mm-hmm. I mentioned last time. Yep. And the shield is running less consistently less than to me what the the best in class for me is the Glock forty three. True. So, the, so to me now again, a lot of people might say, well, what about the Hellcat? Well. Sure. Or, you know, what about the... Taurus makes some some good 9mm... Or ones. the Ruger offerings, or... Yeah. I mean, the Hellcat is more expensive for certain. Uh, probably because I'm a Glock guy, and I actually think the trigger on the... And this is going to horrify a lot of people. I think the Glock 43 trigger is actually very, very good. At least it's very, very good for a Glock. To me, that's the class leader. And looking at the street prices of that, you can save, I think, around $100 getting the shield. I believe so, and and sadly the forty three, since we again live here on the left coast here in the People's Republic of California, and we love to be goose stepping with the governor, um, is that forty three available here on the primary market here in the state of California? Not to me, it's no, not. No, it's not to not, you either. It is to, to law either. enforcement, of course, law enforcement, right? Yeah. And of course, they do come up on the secondary market, which is where a law enforcement officer who purchases one of these yeah. things. Uh, legally, fine, and they shoot it for a while, and they decide that, you know what, they just don't like it that much. And then they end up selling it on the secondary market, 
And when they do, it's perfectly legal then to buy it on the secondary market. It's also perfectly legal to make it really, 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 really expensive on the secondary market. Which is what they do. Yeah. They typically double to triple the price. So right. say, say it costs $500 just brand new in almost any other state. In California, if you buy the same thing on the secondary market, it'll be somewhere between a thousand and fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, not going there. Not, not going there. Yeah. Right, exactly. And but it's, yeah. it's the only way to legally acquire some of these guns because in the state of California, we still have the roster, the handgun roster. There's not been a new handgun added since 2013. Checking my watch, that's 10 years. So all those great handguns you've seen on the cover of Guns and Ammo and the NRA magazines and everything else. We don't get them in California, at yeah. least un unless you're in law enforcement. And remember, if you have <laughs> if you haven't listened to earlier uh, editions of the show, um, and and let's say you're new to the show and you're thinking, why are these morons living in California? Uh, it's because the value quote proposition end quote of our lives indicate that California right now at least is the place that we, we want to be. And I I mentioned the whole stand and fight thing earlier, so you know. California is a beautiful state. It is. Beautiful coastline, mountains. It's got beautiful weather. It's got forests. It's got Yosemite. It's got some of the best Taxes things and fees and, uh, and, and income, and, income tax and, it's, and, and it's property run, tax and sales tax. And, yes, and it's run by insane politicians. That's right. And we are one-party state. And by that means there really is no... Uh, there's no Republican... There's Republicans in, this, in the Senate and in the state legislature, but they basically have almost no effect because yeah. two-thirds of, of the entire legislature is run by the single party, the Democrat, left wing of the Democrat. It's insanity. Yep, it is. So, but, but let's not, we're, we're not doing a political show. No, here, we're, so not. Let's, we're not. We're not doing that. And, and remember, and, 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 and by the way, our Democrat friends out there, and I actually mean that. I mean, that, that sounds... We have Democratic friends. It's, yeah, it sounds... We have family members. It sounds sarcastic to say say that and I I really mean it. I mean I've close family, you know, intelligent Absolutely. people who I simply just don't agree with. So Correct. You, you know, you guys <laughs> that didn't sound right. People on the left, people who don't agree with our perspective as long as they agree with the idea that self-defense is a, is a fundamental human right. It's a are, fundamental natural right. Are welcome to Yes, you're right. Yeah, natural right. Natural right to all animals. All animals, including human beings, have a right to self-defense. Yeah. It is a natural, we could say, God-given right. So no matter no matter what you identify yourself as, exactly, you still have a right to self-defense, and um, and you're welcome on this show. If if by the way, if money is also an issue and you want to save it, yes. okay. So we've covered. Uh, so what's your number for the shield? Um, my number for the shield is very good. I would have to probably say a 7 to an 8. And the only reason, it, it, it would have been higher when it, if all we were looking at were Gen 1s. Mm -hmm. It probably would have been an 8 to a 9. But uh, now that the Gen 2s are out, and better than that, a gun that we, another gun we can't get, which is the Shield Plus, which is basically the same, same, same thing as the Shield, except instead of using a single-stack magazine like was what we have in California, it has a staggered uh, stack magazine, which gives you, I think, 12 rounds instead of the maximum uh, uh, 10 or eight, 8 that we get. I think it's just 8 that we get in our existing one. So you pick up like another 4 rounds with a staggered on the Shield Plus. Uh, and the nice thing with the Shield Plus is it does fit in all of the existing holder, holsters for your shield because it just fattens up the grip by about like a 
not even a quarter inch or something. Yeah, it's a it's a. I'm looking at it right now on Gun Deals. It's a ten round, um, and the price point is still running about ten percent less or so than than a Glock 43. Yeah, and that's ten rounds with with the standard length magazine. If you if you do the extended magazine, you pick up probably another yeah. two rounds, so it's probably like twelve. I guess I'm going to so, get. You know, I was thinking yeah. about giving it a seven. I think I think maybe since they've maintained the the price advantage, yeah. I, I I guess I'd have to go with an eight. I guess if it was the if it was a Glock 43 for this, then at the same if it was cost competitive with with the Glock 43, I think it'd probably fall to about a six in in my estimation, only because of the price advantage and the fact that they really are advancing the model. They are, and they've done a great job. I mean, the trigger on the on the shields is very, very good. Even the Gen ones, I have held. And I don't think it's better than a Glock forty three. Well, to be honest with you, I have not actually gotten to fire a Glock forty three. I did actually get to see one, hold one in another state. That's why you should have gone to the shot show <laughs> because you could have dry, at least dry fired these things. That's true. That's yeah. true. True point. So, okay, the next item up is is a me item. It's the Larue uh, MBT two uh, S trigger, which I mentioned last time, which is a a parts kit trigger, not a drop in trigger, for the AR fifteen and and variants thereof. Uh, I, I, that's a that's a straight up ten. To me, that is as good as any two-stage trigger I've ever felt, and I'm a two-stage guy. And the price point on it, it's crept up over time. Understandably, there's something called inflation that perhaps a few of you have heard of. But at the same time, I haven't seen anything cost-competitive with it that is its equal. Uh, We'll see that new trigger tech drop-in trigger that has a price point of around... $150, $150, I wouldn't say would be the LaRue killer, but it's going to be, it's going to give them a, a quote run for their money. You know, I tried it at shot uh, just sitting on the test stand, and I would say that at the price point, that is the best drop in two stage trigger. So, again, the LaRue though that I actually own, straight up 10. You have a gun to cover, Ken. Taurus 856. Um... Taurus 856 is, they make it a couple of different variants, but the, the one that I acquired was stainless steel. I like Taurus. Uh, they used to have a bad reputation, but they've gotten quite a bit better. The, the nice thing, if, if a firearm is available in blue steel and also for a 20 or $40, $50 increase, you can buy it stainless steel. I almost 99.9% of the time will, will opt for the $50 more expensive one to have it stainless steel just because I prefer the additional durability i mean you can still rust stainless steel so you want to keep it you know clean and oiled and stuff but it's just a little bit more forgiving particularly in those environments where you might have high humidity now we do not have high humidity in southern california uh, for the most part but again uh it's it's just a nice little feature to have if you ask me and there are some firearms that are available in uh, if if you want a black or dark one they do have uh, stainless steel that's been blacked out. Or they have like a melamite or mela, mela. I can't think of any of it. It's a coating over the stainless steel to make it black. Actually, all the sta- all of the M and P M and P Smith and Wessons, which have uh, the M and P shield and the M and P full size, those are actually stainless steel slides that have a black. Uh, melan- melanine, melanite co- coating on it, whatever. Well, it's, it's not the stuff that co- it's no, not the I'm, stuff that covers your kitchen counters. No, no, no. Yeah, I can't think. I've got to look it up. <laughs> That's but, melanin. Yeah, but yeah, it's a, it's a black coating that goes over stainless steel. If you don't want that bright white 
steel sort of a look to it. But anyway, with the Taurus uh, 856, uh, we had an opening of a local gun store that opened here in San Diego recently and uh, was able to pick one up for $299, which I think is a tremendous value proposition. Uh, came with a couple of grips, came with a wood grip, and it came with a polymer grip to it. And it had a very decent, it's a six shot 38 special plus P rated, uh, which to be honest with you is, is very, very good for uh, home defense. It was recommended. I recommended it to a uh, friend of mine who uh, is a, is a widow now and she wanted to get a firearm, a first firearm type of deal. And I was so impressed with it that I bought one myself, which is high praise right there. And that will definitely show in my increased uh, rating for it when we get there. So what do you rate it at? I don't, I don't own one, so I, I'm not qualified to rate that thing. I rate that as a solid 9. Okay. I think it's an excellent value. They make it in several variants. They make it in a, a 2 like two and a half inch or 2 and a quarter inch is what I probably have on the snub nose. They also make it in 3 inch and 4 inch, I believe. I think almost any variant of it is perfect. You can buy uh, reduced power springs in it. The springs are pretty, are pretty uh, decent. In other words, the trigger pull is pretty long and pretty, but it's very smooth, very smooth. But it's a, it's probably got like an eight pound trigger pull, which is fine on a revolver because you're rotating the cylinder as well as cocking the hammer, so that's it's quite a bit. But you can also put in uh, different springs to reduce that if you want, and you can do quite a bit of gunsmithing with it. And there's a lot of ton of different grips out there available. Hogue makes one. Actually, I did buy the Hogue grip added to it. Liked it very much, and it's uh, gone into my into my carry repertoire. So mm-hmm. good stuff. So the next I oh well, and oh you did you give it a number? Was give I not listening to you? You gave it a nine. Okay, a nine. gosh, I got I got distracted there for a minute. Um, I am going to now. Well, actually, we're both going to talk about the AR7 that we reviewed. Now, I think this is maybe what we're going to have our first disagreement during this show about the value proposition of the AR7. So, if you don't know uh, and you didn't listen to the previous episode air seven is a breakdown survival rifle that all stores in the stock yeah. uh it floats it floats and and um it's a fun little gun but uh i got mine mine happens to be a charger arms which dates it a lot because it's about been through, 30 years or it's, so yeah it's more been, than 30 years it's 35 been something like that 35 years it, it's been a long time since i bought that and i bought it for well less than a hundred dollars and I don't know if it was audible on the podcast, but I just pulled up the prices for those, and I kind of gasped. Almost four hundred bucks. Uh yeah, or more than four hundred, and that is astounding, uh, disappointing, <laughs> and I don't think sustainable. And and Henry doesn't build rifles at a very fast rate right now, so I don't even know. Henry how... builds some great stuff, though. God. Well, first let's talk mm-hmm. about your Charter Arms version of it. Okay, the AR-7, and, and, and I highly, I like to buy, since we're talking about frugal and, and getting value, I'm very big into buying used firearms, okay? Okay, but you, not everyone has that. I mean, so where would you go for that? You go to gunbroker.com well, you or, go to gun or broker, grab a gun or something grab a gun, like that. Or just down to your local gun store. Right. I, I constantly am going through the racks at, at gun stores around town. Uh, looking at what comes in. And the other thing is pawn shops. Not all pawn shops you can pawn a firearm at, but uh, many of them do have that. Pawn shops are a great place. And the great thing about pawn shops are is that pawn shop will almost always list the firearm at the current brand new price. 
And it's like, well, they want $500 for it or whatever the price might be. Uh-huh. Pawn shops are a suggestion. You're like, nah, I'm not, I don't want to do that. I will give you, and cash speaks volumes at a pawn shop. You can walk into a pawn shop and I've gotten 30, 40% off certain things because you can sit there and go, hey, that's unusual. It's weird. It's going to sit there for a year. Wouldn't you prefer just to think you, you bought it for 25 cents on the dollar? Wouldn't you like to sell it for 50 cents on the dollar? You're making money. You but isn't that, over. but aren't, uh, I mean, doesn't, like if someone sells them, I don't know, a Fabergé egg or well, something like that that they can't move. There are unscrupulous things and there are people who, yeah, there are weird things. Okay, but too. I mean, don't guns move right off the shelf at a pawn shop? I mean. No, sometimes they sit there a long, long time. Do they? Okay. A long time. I, I don't, I don't frequent pawn shops. I do. I frequent I, pawn not, shops. Okay. I go to several pawn shops. I'm not criticizing. Time. I'm, I know uh, you're not. Uh, okay. I'm just saying I've gotten some fantastic deals on some wonderful. I've okay, bought... but let's, uh, let's let's go with your number then. So we 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 previously okay. covered the AR7 and what we like and don't like about it. But if you're going to get thirty percent off of a four hundred dollar gun, mm -hmm. if you're lucky enough to find it and it's in good condition, that it's actually worth. Sure. Like it's still worth seventy percent of right. its original cost. Is how does that compare to the maybe a gun you haven't seen yet? But to me, the Winchester Wildcat, which comes in at more than a hundred dollars less, which sure takes AR, it takes it takes the Ruger, ten twenty two takedown rotary magazine, yep. or oh. it takes their own magazine. Interesting. It takes both, and I mentioned before that I think that probably indicates that Ruger's patent on the design of their magazine must have expired a long they've time ago. Build, they've been building them since like 64. Something like that. Yeah. Like and But the Winchester years. Wildcat, now it's it's not a breakdown gun. So it, in, it's going to, it's full size is going to stay that way. But if I were to look at that, or let's just say even, you know, the Henry Minibolt or something like that, well, that's not a semi-auto. What If you want it to be apples to apples, it needs to be another semi-auto. I like the fact that the AR-7 is a semi-auto and breaks down small, but I I'm Marlin, really not Marlin liking. Papoose. I'm not liking the four hundred dollar price tag no, on this at all, no. and no. I would have to say that maybe I'll just accept a little additional size and go for something that doesn't break down. So I, I'm going to say that right now, oh God, the value proposition for me on an AR7 is about a four. Yeah, I would have to almost agree. It's a four, maybe to a five. I mean, it is a very nice, very compact thing. If you just want to carry. Uh, you're going out backpacking, going out hiking, you're going a distance, and you want to take maybe 100 rounds of 22 with you, which weighs almost nothing, and you weight really is critical. Okay, so I think the thing weighs like two and a half pounds, including the 100 rounds of ammunition. That can, you can definitely, you know, make the, make the thing that, that saves weight on a, on a backpack. And uh, so there is value to it, but I would Maybe agree. Maybe just because of its, of its breakdown characteristic right. more than anything else. I, well, guess, I guess if you have to have a breakdown gun, then yeah. Yeah, and then both our AR-7s, I bought mine used, and you got your one used as well. Your first one, your Charter Arms anyway, that was used. Yeah, but, well, um, I'm having trouble remembering whether it was used or not. It was used. It was? It? Okay. The, but then again, the... It had a bent well, barrel. But, but, but let's, you that's, that's true. I, had the, yeah, <laughs> I, I sent the barrel into Charter Arms, and they replaced the barrel, which was good on them. But, okay, but what would we get into in cases where a person could have an SBR? Well, I mean, yeah. really, you want to pay a two hundred dollar tax stamp on an SBR? Well, if you're in Texas and it's a locally produced SBR, maybe you won't be paying that. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm ready to. I, even uh, well, if I we don't live in Texas. Texas so, we don't live but, in Texas. 
But would, would would the I mean, what would you spend on building a decent SBR? Now, I mean, it's a, it's going to be a multiple of this, but it's going to be a lot more versatile. Yeah, it would be. I mean, you could you could do an AR type pistol with a ten inch barrel with takedown with a. I mean, you could do a lot, but you're, you're talking north of a grand. Yeah, uh, but is north of a grand a better value than four hundred dollars on a on a twenty two that has? Well, I like 22s. I think 22s are, are the, the advantage. Yeah, they're underpowered, but in theory, yes, theory, you're going to be using it for, you're not going out Kodiak bear hunting with a 22. Yeah, as, as you talked about before, right? Okay, so next product up that we <clears throat> forgot to give a value rating to was the Jerry Michlick uh, 223 Compensator. And be very short about this, that's about a nine. Uh, it's an excellent compensator that does the job objectively better than most comps that both cost more and look like they you know came out of a fantasy movie. And could you spend less and get 80% of the effectiveness? Actually, yeah, you can. There are ways to do that and buy a really cheap comp, but I think that that to me is is my go-to comp and it doesn't cost much at all. So moving on to the new product uh, category here. I ah, yes, the Hollow Sun. Right. I wanted to. You don't have the Hollow Sun 407KX2, do you? Ken? I do not. You do not. I do, and that's what sits on my shield. And so, why did I choose that? Being so value centric as I am, what I looked at the you know the breadth of red dots out there, I found that most red dots, well, they're dots, and that sounds parenthetically obvious but most of them are like very very bright dots that tend to kind of have a lot of glare if they're bright enough and your brain i would say your eye doesn't like to look at at bright contrasty objects and that's true except your eye doesn't have an opinion your brain does but but your optical system let's put it that way actually doesn't like to look at a bright object against a background like that and so looking at a red dot the traditional red dot is actually slightly an unnatural thing to do. And I also found that across the spectrum of what you can spend on red dots, that oh, yeah. you could spend 100 or you could spend 300 and sometimes... You could spend 50. The, yeah, and, and sometimes <laughs> the difference is you're probably paying in durability Absolutely. You know, at some point. Well, you are paying in durability at some point, but at it, there are price points at which the extra money you're spending isn't buying you much or anything. The thing that, that distinguishes to me the Holosun 407K with the 6 MOA dot is <laughs> is not just that I'm not more accurate than that. That is not the point. It's that the dot isn't a bright, shiny star. It is a disc. And I don't mean a circle because I think circles are silly and distracting and, and don't really belong on red dot sites. It looks like uh, the best analogy is a stoplight. It looks it's it's just a red disc and it doesn't glare at all. Mm. So it's actually and it shows up somewhat you know translucently, but it also has excellent definition and it ends up being something easier to pick up and easier to stay focused on your target because it's not super contrasty. It's contrasty enough, but it doesn't have the glare with the star you know right. effects around it. And for people with astigmatism, that matters. The optical glass is all right. It's not as flat as I would like, but the to me, the differentiator was that dot. And I would say, and it does have Shake Awake. It has a 50,000-hour battery, assuming it's not on all the time. And I would, 
at its pr- at current price point, I'd give it probably an eight. It would get a ten if the glass was as flat as some of the more expensive ones. So this mounts on the. Uh... It's an RMSC. Okay. You know the, the C for compact. It, it it fits on on small receivers. Or I'm sorry, slides. It fits on small slides. Uh, it is not a Trigicon, you know, footprint. It's an RMSC. Right. And and I maybe this is me, but I have yet to buy in or become particularly uh, enamored with uh, any sort of red dot on a handgun. I don't know why. Well, Our, okay, but yeah, you do know why. Well, well you have thoughts of why. Tell I have thoughts why. of why. Okay, I mean, f- from a rifle perspective, absolutely a carbine, particularly great thing to have. Red dot, wonderful thing to have. I don't know pistol because you, you're you're increasing the vertical height of the pistol, which is, uh, in my opinion, is uh, most of the things I would do would be for concealed carry. So to me, it's something sticking up in the back, and it, it's a it'll snag on something at the worst possible moment. Uh, I I find it unnatural to rely upon it because what if the battery's out? What if you knocked it down? It's just not working. Well, that's that called thing. co-witness. That's yeah. why you put suppressors. I understand that. I understand it. Sights, high right, sights. So yeah, I get yeah, it. Okay. I get it. But to me, I'm just I'm an iron sights guy. I learned on iron sights. Been firing iron sights for half a century or whatever. I like them. I I do like the fiber optic sights. You know the three dot fiber optic sights mm-hmm. on there, which will use the natural ambient light in the room or whatever it might be. And sometimes with glow, like Trigicon, you know, will have an additional glow. But I'm I'm more of an iron sights guy. I haven't bought into this whole thing that. These pistols have to have these uh, these electronic optics on them yet. I I'm not there. I am an adopter. Well, I have both. I have iron sights and and red dot. To me, the red dot makes the most sense for one particular reason above all others, and it's not just the cool factor and stuff like that. Like you know, look how much more money I put into my gun. It's the fact that I don't necessarily accept that people who not. Okay, I'm going to stereotype our audience a little bit here. We've we've mentioned this before in previous episodes. People who train all the time on guns sure. and who put tens of thousands of rounds in guns every year are probably baked into the front sight focus all the time, every right. day. All day. And they have put that, tr- and, and perhaps they've been people who have pressure tested that against real threats in the real world. I surmise that most of our listeners are not those people no. and that they want to get the most shooting enjoyment as they can out of their guns for the limited amount of time that they're able to use them. So I'm surmising that most people will, when faced with a real life-threatening threat that they have not been able to train against because it's really hard at a, at a square range where you're testing against paper or even a picture of a bad guy you know it's not a bad guy you know that that piece of paper is not going to attack you in the street put quotes around that because you know you always hear the phrase that'll get you killed in the street okay i don't think that this advice will get you killed in the street but i think that people will have a tendency to focus on the thing that is attacking them and it will be hard to bring yourself back in the moment to remember to focus on the front sight. And because of that, since the, the red dot superimposes the aim point against the target, mm-hmm. it's a single focal plane now. And I think that's the reason that the red dot is not only the way to go, but also the way to start. Now, I, 
some people will disagree with that. Say, learn the fundamentals first. That'd be me, and, and that would be you. And, I, and I'm not. I don't disrespect that argument because I understand the argument. But for people who are only going to put a limited number of rounds through their gun and yeah. want to become effect, as effective as possible, as fast as possible, it, to me it's analogous to if I were to draw a car analogy, would I rather have a person be able to understand vehicle dynamics with an automatic transmission or learn their way through a manual transmission just because that's a fundamental? I'd say I'd rather have them learn how to drive the car and let the car figure out the gear changes. It's it's not a perfect analogy, but I think that the analogy is somewhat valid in the sense that when you're dealing with a potential accident in a car, sure, you need to worry about braking, steering, and other vehicles around you. When you're dealing with a life-threatening situation in the street, right. you're dealing with the threat, the sight picture, what's behind him. Is it a shot you can actually take safely or not based on your skill, based on the range? The thing you don't want to also have to think about is changing your focus when you've already got now tunnel vision. That's the reason I think that the okay. red dot's the, play, the way to go. I get it, but and I started out and have have done a lot of uh, trap and skeet shooting. Okay. Okay. And the thing about trap and skeet is, with a shotgun, you do not aim a shotgun. It sounds counterintuitive. You point a shotgun. Yeah. You point it, but you do not aim it. Yeah. And that's because you've got all a bunch of different factors. We don't have to go into them here now. But as much of that, I also find that with a handgun at, at any distance where you're going to talk about like 70 yards or under the famous 21 feet or less, uh, to me, it's pointing it. My quickest draw it would be able to point, and I practice this with, with both lasers, and I've practiced it at the range, drawing and firing. And I can pretty much you know, hit a milk jug at 21 feet Without aiming, oh. and that and that's a really good point too because there, there's a certain value in learning the consistency and quality of the presentation of the weapon. Yeah, and and that's a body mechanics thing that Absolutely. that everyone needs to even if it's just dry fire or just drawing practice in your house or at at some safe location without using any ammunition. Sure. You need to get the draw down to the point. I mean, I'm going to bring up another controversial person who a lot of people will recoil when they hear, you know, Instructor Zero, because a lot of people think he's all about himself and really all he's doing is is showing you how good he is. But that guy has got to the point where his his positioning, uh, his entire presentation is good enough that he can hit targets up to maybe maybe a 10-inch circle at 50 yards with no sights right? at all. And that just comes with a lot of practice, comes and it with comes practice. with good body mechanics. So I, I completely agree. I could see the argument for minimal sights or no sights on a gun. Yeah. I think legally that maybe puts you in a handicapped position because then they start talking. Let's say you have a very motivated district attorney who starts questioning things like, well, sure. how good is your vision, sir? And... You know, were you actually able to see the front sight? Well, if you focused on the front sight and the target went out of focus, d- d- are you sure that that guy was still a threat? Exactly. I understand all of that, but I also remember I, I did have an opportunity to train with some uh, probation officers and some sheriff's department people in a different state, 
And they basically had, you know, drawing from uh, their right hip, for example, which is where they were carrying their 9mm, drawing it, really just barely pivoting it, not even moving the, the pistol forward, and firing with the pistol actually cocked over about 30 or 40 degrees to the right-hand side. Just literally draw, fire two rounds yep. at a target, turn two rounds at another target. Did they Be hit him? Oh, absolutely. And th these are stomach shots of like if you're being surrounded by a gang or something yeah. like that and you need to draw and drop multiple targets rapidly. And I was fine with that. And that was literally, that was just point. That's the old Chuck Taylor speed rock uh, method. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. And if you don't know who Chuck Taylor is, look him up. Great book. He, he was one of the earlier, probably well-known, you know, trainers out there. Okay. So you had a... Just looking at the clock here, uh, we have about 10 more minutes because yeah. we'd like to stay, and, and dear listeners, we do like to keep this under an hour. And, and I didn't mention it before, but you know what? We also uh, keep this uh, podcast clean. Any any mistakes in linguistics that we engage in during the podcast are edited out, so you, <laughs> you can. <laughs> it is safe for uh, women and children. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but you wanted to cover uh, uh, a... Uh, another firearm that you think is a good value proposition what was that yeah i was walking through some of the uh, some of the uh, stores recently and i basically came across you know what if you just wanted to have fun and learn the basics of handgun safety and so forth and there are a couple of things that are out there that i just thought were of tremendous value one is the ruger wrangler which is a, a single action uh sort of like a 1873 sort of a peacemaker design in 22 long rifle uh it does not have a swing out cylinder it has a loading gate that opens on the side and it runs about 200 bucks 200 210 bucks 220 bucks somewhere in that range it is made out of um uh, obviously a steel barrel and I think the, the receiver is of a slightly lesser material. And then I compare that to Ruger's higher end uh, single action 22, which is a single six, of which I actually own one of the single sixes, which has adjustable sights on the front and the back and a whole bunch of other uh, very fancy things. It costs around $700. But the, the Wrangler, which I think for most people is a tremendously uh, valuable gun, it allows you to go out there and shoot six shots at a time and you have to unload each one of the brass ones individually and the advantage there is number one you're going to slow down and that's one of the reasons why you train initially like when you when you teach people you train with a bolt action gun because you want them to slow down and focus on the on the essentials and it's just flat out a fun gun to shoot so the ruger wrangler i would highly recommend and it comes in a six uh, six inch or six shot cylinder which is excellent. They are now also making a, a, a upgraded version of it. Just came out with it. I actually haven't seen one in the stores yet, which comes with both the 22 long rifle cylinder as well as the 22 magnum cylinder. And I think you can also get adjustable sights on it now. And that's going to be around $300. And I, I still think at $300 for a 22 or 22 bag magnum pistol, it is an excellent value, and I would uh, highly recommend it to. Uh, well, what's it? Well, I mean, but but put a number to it. Let's be objective here. What what's your score? I think everybody should own one, so I'm going to put it really high. I'm going to do about an eight, eight and a half. Okay, 
Yeah, I guess we, we don't really have a linear scale here, do we? We have a kind of a, a like a, a bit of a logarithmic scale. Like getting to 10 is going to be hard. Yeah, I, I almost will never go right. to 10. Okay, and my last product for uh, today is, you know, it kind of, I, I was going to talk about this in the next show, but I'm going to move it up. And it goes to the discussion about the red dot that we just have, because I think that this is germane. I'm going to talk about weapon-mounted light. And the weapon-mounted light that I wanted to uh, highlight is the Olight Balder Mini. The Balder Mini is a 600 lumen light, which puts it competitive with other lights in its size, actually a little bit more, the, the competitively priced. I won't mention it, but there's another fairly popular brand uh, that costs about the same, is 500 lumens. And, and let me tell you, uh, folks, something that you may not know. Do not, do not, do not make a decision on a light based on a small difference in lumens. Lumens is, uh, the way people perceive light is, we were just talking about logarithmic scales. It's a logarithmic scale. The difference in perception of a 600 lumen and the difference in perception of a 500 lumen light is not the percentage that you would arithmetically calculate between those two. It's hardly noticeable at all. If you want to change the perception of the amount of light, you have to change it by quite a bit. Same thing goes with noise, which is something uh, that my day job requires expertise in. So uh, a 600 lumen light, it's, its big brother, the Balder S, is an 800 lumen light. It's physically larger, and I would say not worth the extra size because the size of the Balder Mini allows it to be mounted and stay flush with a greater range of guns because does it, it's does shorter. Use, does it use the same battery? I don't know whether it uses... Okay, let's back up here. The, I don't know the capacity of the battery. The way that uh, Olight does their batteries is they have a magnetically mounted... Uh, charger. Charger that really works very well because it's, it's a 360-degree charger. It can mount any way you like. And I don't know what the battery life is. So there is that to consider. But then again... The light is not under, unlike a red dot, it may not constantly be on. It's only going to be on when you tell it to. The other thing that will, the, why does it try back to the discussion about the red dot? We can have a conversation later about the validity or the need to have a weapon-mounted light or use a handheld light, because I think that by itself is a separate topic that maybe we'll cover when we have one of our training guests on. But at the same time, it also has a laser. Now, the competition in the same price range does not include the laser. And you might think, well, why do I need a laser if I've already got sights or fiber optic sight, if I already have a red dot, if I have something like that? The reason that you would want a laser on a combination of a laser and a light is under the assumption that you haven't gone through all the training necessary to become thoroughly confident when you're faced with an actual threat in a real-life situation. And I have seen this work with novice shooters, that having the dot on the target becomes the thing that you focus on. Not just through the optical red dot, if you so choose to put that on your gun, but let's say you don't, for reasons that you can mention were perfectly valid, which it doesn't fit in the holster you want anymore, the thing has become larger, it's an added expense, but having the laser on there and putting the light and the laser on the target does two things. It helps disorient the guy looking at you, particularly mm -hmm. if, I mean, obviously this is going to be when it's dark because that's when it matters, uh, but these things are bright enough that even in daylight, the light can be disorienting and buy you time, which is important, but putting that laser on the target 
allows you to have, you know, maybe not the perfect aim point, but a good enough aim point that that becomes the focal point and you no longer have to worry about as much about body positioning, about whether you're holding the gun perfectly. Maybe you have a hand that's out of commission and now you're doing it one hand, you're doing it offhand. It allows you to get on target quicker with effective shots. And that's the reason I think that a laser, I don't, in other words, I don't think there's a downside to it. I think there's only upsides. I don't think it makes it worse for an experienced shooter. I think it makes it better for the inexperienced shooter. And admittedly, a lot of people in our audience just don't get the time to shoot often enough. That's true. So it's expensive. And and to me, that um, that combination of of cost and the light and the laser, to me, it's a nine. I straight up nine. Uh, so we haven't we haven't got to ten yet, but it's a nine. Uh, do you have anything else you want to cover, Ken? No, I think uh, this will be good for this episode. And therefore, we will uh, conclude this one. I'll tell our listeners that uh, during our we're going to have our first guest, uh, which is going to discuss the value proposition of training and why training is such a valuable opportunity and why it's a good investment. That's going to be on our very next uh, show. And that show should be coming up in the next couple weeks. Uh, we're still working out the availability of our guests to talk to us. And then that will be posted uh, to all the same podcast aggregators. If you follow the Facebook page, you can look us up at Frugal Firearms Podcast. If you look in Facebook, that's where we have links to every site that we're on. And we're on pretty much every aggregator now. The big ones, of course, and even some ones that I had never heard of and are less popular, but... If that's the podcast aggregator you use, then no matter which one it is, please leave us a comment, leave us a like, uh, leave us, don't leave us a dislike, but if you have critical comments, uh, you can leave those there or you can email them directly to us at frugalfirearmspodcast at gmail.com. Again, frugalfirearmspodcast at gmail.com. Love to get your input. If you have a product that you would like to highlight on the show, contact us. If you're interested in advertising opportunities, contact us. Uh, We're open 24-7. Well, we don't read email 24-7, but you can always contact us and we'll get right back to you. Uh, Either you can address things to either myself, Craig, or to my partner, Ken, or just to either of us, and uh, and we'll monitor that and and be very responsive uh, because we're tailoring this to you. We're tailoring this to the the person who doesn't have unlimited money and wants to spend it wisely. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. Ken, any closing comments? Nope. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you uh, again soon. Thank you. Thanks much.